I wonder what stage NCIS is on. I don't know. Let's go right and see if it's down there. Oh, I see some trailers. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my writing partner and friend, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, being friends and business partners, and how to fight and win the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll hear where our listeners landed on whether or not Sarah should color her hair. Yes, lots of opinions there. Um, We'll also talk about what to do when you feel like you're being pulled in a million different directions. And by you, I mean (laughs) us right now. (laughs) And in what promises to be my favorite segment ever, we'll debate the merits of the Kardashians. Yeah, you feel very strongly about the Kardashians. So that should be fun. Um, We'll also have our Hollywood hack and an existential celebrity sighting. Okay, Sarah, let's jump back into the great gray hair debate of 2017. (laughs) We got a lot of feedback about your hair. Yes, we did. And it was split. I was actually surprised by how many people felt strongly that I should color my hair. Um, And then there were a lot of people who felt that I should just do me. Yes. So... Let's start with Carrie from Maine. Um, She's 43, and she stopped dyeing her hair 10 years ago. Um, And she said, why are women expected to dye their hair and men are not? If you're happy and comfortable, keep your hair the way you want. If more women tried to embrace their natural beauty, it would turn the tide to ditching the dye. And then she added, which I love, oh, if you ever want to literally spin yarn, I'm in Maine and would be happy to teach you. So I'm going to file this email away for future reference. Because if anyone has forgotten, Sarah's fantasy self spins yarn, (laughs) literally, not just uh, for TV shows. (laughs) Uh, And then we also heard from Julie in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've been there, by the way, Sarah. And she um, also has gone gray, started on her 21st birthday, and she had an interesting point of view. She said, I didn't color for a very long time because I didn't want to have to maintain it. Then I decided that when I did start to color, it would have to be different somehow. I was in my mid-40s when the decision came. I'd keep the salt in the front that everyone loves, and I'd go purple for the rest. I'm one month short of living with and loving my look for four years. I get lots of compliments, and much to my own surprise, I even enjoy my monthly color appointments. And she sent a fabulous photo of her purple hair. Yes. Very she, she looks amazing. And Carrie sent a picture, too, of her, like, beautiful silver tresses. Yes. I love Julie's hair with the purple in the back. That anyway, may be. That might I, be I in be your future. There. Yeah. Might yeah. Be Although mine would future. be, like, purple, I think, in the front. I don't know. We'll see. Um And then Susanna sent an email. She's kind of in the middle. She says, a few years into having gray hair, I was at an event with my husband. And one of his acquaintances, who had never met me, asked if I was my husband's mother. Ooh. Yay. 
I lost it, she says. It's not always easy being the one in the other box, but like you, there are many things about me that fit in the other box, so I've learned to love that about myself. When it comes to dating, I completely understand your slight hesitation. There are complex dynamics when you first meet people. I still think hair color is just a superficial attribute, and you want to spend time with people who want to develop a deeper connection. Honestly, if someone didn't want to get to know me because of the color of my hair, gray, purple, or red, I want to know that up front. I see your salt and pepper hair as an ideal filtering tool, simple <laughs> and quick. That's a really good point. It is. It's not one I entirely agree with, <laughs> but it is a great point. Yeah. <laughs> and then we heard from Susan in Vienna, Virginia, who um, really thinks you should dye your hair. Sarah. Yes. She said, OMG, Sarah is share in Moonstruck. Dye that gray. Be young while you are young. I know, I know, I hate dyeing my hair, but you're in your 40s. You're still young and attractive, so be even more so. It's okay. You're just being your best you. We all loved Cher all dressed up for the opera. Be like Cher. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to argue with someone who says be like Cher, for God's I sake. I know, Cher. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen Moonstruck, it's a great movie starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. And Cher in it is a kind of... Um, I think kind of a classic spinster who lives with her parents. And she has, at the beginning of the movie, she has gray salt and pepper, salt and pepper hair. Yes. And for her big date to the opera with Nicolas Cage, she, her hair is dyed and she's wearing this fabulous dress. And she is the, you know, just full tilt, gorgeous Cher that we all love. Yeah. Look, Cher looks great no matter what, to be clear. But it's just this fabulous image of her standing in front of the opera, um, sort of. Full bloom, I guess. Yeah, we should put a picture of uh, Cher from Moonstruck with the gray hair and Cher from Moonstruck with the dark hair on our website, happierinhollywood.com. Definitely look at that. It It is a pretty amazing transformation. Yeah. Anyway, anyone who mentions Moonstruck, you know, that that yeah makes me smile. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, and then Allison uh, in Newport Beach said, Question If you could snap your fingers and your hair would be dyed and look great, would you? If the answer is yes, then I say it's worth your time to dye your hair, since at the end of the day, that is what you prefer. If you say no, then maybe you're a rebel and you still prefer to dye your hair. Just kidding. If no, then there is your answer, too. So this is interesting to me, because we had a long discussion about this email. It got to be a very heated debate. (laughs) And, um, well, answer the question. If you could snap your fingers and have your hair dyed, not have to go to the salon, would you do it? No. Okay. So to me, that's the answer. It kind of came out that you don't want chemicals in your hair. Right. If I could snap my fingers and have the hair that I had when I was 25. Naturally dark. Yeah. Yes. Who wouldn't? I mean, you know. Right. Yeah. But like... I could snap my fingers and have dyed hair. It still has all of those issues. In three weeks, I'd have to dye it again. It Like the chemicals, I just, you know, I, there's probably no connection between hair dyeing and Alzheimer's disease, but I just don't want the chemicals in my body. And know? from a feminist standpoint, you would have the same issue with it. Yeah. Which is you're dyeing your hair to look a certain way for other people. Right. Exactly. So I kind of feel like Allison got to the heart of the matter. She really and did. We answer the question. You're not going to dye your hair. Unless you get on a whim, you decide you want to dye it purple. Yeah, and Boafwa said if we are, like, going to the Emmys and if we're going to win an Emmy, then I should color my hair. I I still don't think I would, but... (laughs) 
Waffle is our new assistant, by the way, for anybody who um, didn't hear um, the recent episode. Yeah, she had a great interview in the previous episode. So thank you, Allison in Newport Beach, for helping us kind of crystallize the real question and and my answer, which at least for now is a firm no. Um, okay, Liz, it's time for a segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, it's all about how to deal with being pulled in a million different directions. Yes. Lately, we feel like we're being stretched out on a rack. And um, for anyone who doesn't remember, the rack was a medieval torture device where you're literally pulled apart. Apparently, one of the most gruesome parts of it was the sound of popping ligaments and cartilage. So just, you know, picture that for a moment. Liz was uh, online looking up, like... (laughs) All the different pictures <laughs> yeah. of racks and what they do yesterday and just like groaning as she was like, like yeah. Ugh, Ugh, yeah. um, at the horror. So this is something I think everybody feels at various points in their lives, probably more often than anyone would like to admit. Yes, especially women. I think men feel it, too. Don't mm-hmm. want to leave the men out. But I think women really have that sensation of of being physically pulled apart and sort of not knowing how to handle it. Yes. So we're going to tackle it today, Sarah. Yes, nice. As we've mentioned, we're working on a new show for the people, um, and we're also developing two projects. So three days a week, we're at the Paramount lot, and two days a week, we're at our offices on the Disney lot. Um, and of course, we also have our personal lives, which are full and busy. Sarah, you're an only parent, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, puts a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. I'm in the middle of my endless <laughs> remodel. And Adam, my husband, is also working full time at a job at an office. So he's not around to pick up any slack. Right. Um, so it's a yeah, lot. It is. It's a lot. Um, and if the rack metaphor is too horrible for some people, I think of it as being, you know, like one of the superheroes made of plastic, Elastigirl from The Incredibles and Plastic Man from, I don't know, the 70s. <laughs> um, they're constantly being pulled in different directions and, and reaching past where you would think anyone could possibly reach, but they do it. Um, And so are we. Sort of. Well, we're trying. Um, And it's not easy. So I definitely think we can use some strategies for managing all of our competing priorities without feeling like we're on a rack. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think part of it is we need to work on our ability to compartmentalize, which can be hard. It's like, when we're doing one thing, we should just be thinking about doing that thing right. and not having thoughts about all these other things coming in. So it's like right. when we're in the room on For the People, we just want to be thinking about For the People and not worrying about our Marsha Clark pitch. Right. Um, and and vice that versa. part is easy. I, like when you're in the room, you're so engaged with well, that's what's happening true. in the room that that's okay. It's more for me when we're on a break and we're sending emails to Marsha Clark about the project that we're doing with her. It's just a lot of things to hold in your brain at all different times. Yeah. And I think part of why we're specifically feeling this now is because, as we've talked about, we're transitioning from Brooke, our former assistant, mm-hmm. um, to Boafwa, who's now our assistant. And she came in at this time of great change. Right. We're she started all day changing. two on our new job. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we don't all three of us have our routines down. We haven't been able to sort of settle into something where we all are kind of following the same path. So we're kind of all pulled a million directions. Yeah. Um, for a long time, we've sort of been in charge of our own time. Yes. And all of a sudden, you know, three days a week anyway, we're really not. 
before you and I were just negotiating, like, okay, when is your doctor's appointment? What time do we need to leave on Tuesday? Yeah. When should we do this meeting? And now it's like we are, you know, three days a week, it's somebody else's schedule. And that also just adds like an additional sort of difficulty in scheduling stuff, really. Exactly. Like if we need to have a phone call, for example, with the studio, we don't know when we're going to be taking a break three days a week. Now, Sarah, I have to admit something I'm actually ashamed about because I know better. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I have not exercised once since we started this new job. Right. And it's like all I do in life is talk about the need for exercise. (laughs) I haven't like. I haven't exercised once. And the thing is, what I realized about myself is if I'm exercising during the week, I have momentum and then I'll also exercise on the weekend. Yeah. If I'm not exercising during the week, I don't go, oh, now it's the weekend. I can exercise. I go, I just don't exercise on the weekend either. Right. It's like, it, it's just crazy how fast I can go from regularly exercising to not at all. Right. You wouldn't think like the a human being could so quickly... <laughs> turn to like a schlub. But that is what I have done. Well, I I have seen it in my own life, so I believe it. (laughs) I have been there. Um, And I think also a contributing factor is that on the days we're going to Paramount, our commute is a lot longer, especially yours. Yes. Which, you know. It can be up to an hour and 15 minutes each way. So there's a huge chunk out of your day you know, that you're not used to yet. Yes. So that makes sense. And we don't have our treadmill desks three days a week because they're at the Disney lot. Right. So I'm not getting three miles in. Right. Yeah, it's big. But you are exercising. Yeah. So tell me what you're doing and how, like, how that's working. Well, I got an exercise bike, a stationary bike that is in the, like, TV room off my bedroom. So in the morning... I'm doing like 15 minutes of interval training. It's not like a massive amount, but it's what I can do. And the bike is like right there. Mm. And Violet gets, you know, her morning screen time. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm using the screen as a babysitter. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Violet gets her morning screen time and I get in 15 minutes. But I'm doing it several times a week. Um, So that's great. It's at least an hour extra of exercise a week, even though it's in smaller chunks. So you're officially managing being pulled apart on the rack better than I am. For at least 15 (laughs) minutes in the morning, yes. (laughs) All right. So, okay, here's a lot of problems we have. What can we do? Because everyone everyone goes through this. What, What can we do to improve the situation? So as we were just starting to be aware of this problem and discuss it, um, I stumbled on this article in the Harvard Business Journal. The title is Resilience is About How You Recharge, Not About How You Endure. So there's this one great paragraph. It says, we often take a militaristic, tough approach to resilience and grit. We imagine a Marine slogging through the mud, a boxer going one more round, or a football player picking himself up off the turf for one more play. We believe that the longer we tough it out, the tougher we are, and therefore the more successful we will be. However, this entire conception is scientifically inaccurate. Yes. And then they go on to explain that what we really need is to recharge, to rest and recharge, not to just keep going on. When we read this article, it reminded me of informed fitness, which is the training, the strength training you and I both do. But the whole idea of informed fitness is that you use your muscles to exhaustion and then you rest them for a full week before you use them again. Tear and repair, 
I think right. some people call it. And that's kind of this idea. It's like we shouldn't just keep soldiering through all these different things. We need to take time to actually recharge. Right. Both during the day, this was interesting, yeah. and after work. Right. It's like during your intense period, you need to take some breaks. And then when you're off work, really be off. So, for instance, the writers of this article would not say that us, like, leaving the writer's room and emailing about another project is recharging. Right. They would say we should take a loop around the Paramount lot and have a nice, friendly conversation to kind of refresh our brains, not a work conversation. Yes. Now, the only problem with that is then I don't know when we're doing our work emails. I know. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And the point is also, like, what makes it a little bit difficult is we work in a creative field. Yes. So we enjoy our work. Yes. So it's hard to draw a line between, like, a fun conversation and a work conversation. Right. Because our work conversations are often very fun. Right. And also, we never know when we're going to have an idea. So, for instance, you and I might email each other at 11 at night Mm -hmm. about an idea of something we were talking about earlier that day. Now, I was thinking if we wanted to try this method of just recharging at night Mm -hmm. and not having work in our brains, we could write the emails but not send them until the next morning. Because you... God knows if we have an idea, we must write it down. Immediately. Because we will forget it. We could have the <laughs> yeah. greatest idea and two minutes later we've forgotten it. Yeah. So um, we need to write it down. But it may be that we want to try not texting at midnight about some episode. Right. Because we need to make sure that we have some relaxation time at the end of every day. I really, really, really want to start meditating. Um, and Pulling Bawafa, you in yet another direction. I know. But Bawafwa yesterday sent me a link to like a one-minute meditation. Oh, okay. So yesterday I accomplished that goal. I did a one-minute meditation. Ooh, good for you, Sarah. I'm so glad you did that. Did it make you feel better? Yes, actually it did. It was a good one minute. Okay, then. Um, now, I have to say another thing that does help us is doing this podcast yeah. because normally we would just be going through our days on the rack complaining right. and actually looking at the situation, analyzing it, looking for solutions is very helpful. Yeah. So we are taking a positive step toward not being on the rack just by examining our lives. Yes, that is excellent. So our podcast is is helping us. Um, Hopefully it's helping some of you also. Let us know how you deal with feeling like you're on the rack. Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY-21. And we'll put a link again to the Harvard Business Journal on our website, happierinhollywood.com. Next up, we tackle a very controversial subject, the Kardashians. After a word from our sponsor. Well, Kim is having her birthday party at my house when I said no. I mean, are you really that mad? Like, yes. Okay. It's not cool. Don't go behind my back and plan things at my house. I guarantee you, Kim has no idea that this Evite was sent to me, but I'm sure they sent it to me on accident. Okay, Sarah, that was a clip from Keeping Up with the Kardashians on E! Um, Now, let's dive into our segment, LVS, Liz versus Sarah, where we discuss slash debate a topic we might not see eye to eye on. Today, we're talking about the royal family of Calabasas, the Kardashians. And Sarah, I'm just going to come out and say it, I am a Kardashian fan. 
Yes, you really are. And I am not. Now, I think my fondness for the Kardashians is the most controversial opinion I hold in Hollywood. I'm literally almost afraid to say in polite company that I like the Kardashians. (laughs) It's one step up from liking Donald Trump. Yes. Um, And I don't necessarily have Kardashian hate in my heart. I'm not a hater. I just don't find them interesting, like, at all. (laughs) Um, What do you find interesting about them? All right. Well, I find them interesting on a micro level and a macro level. Okay. (laughs) So I'm just all over the Kardashians. Um, On a micro level, they're sisters. And, you know, I love anything about sisters. Mm -hmm. You know, I love seeing their interactions. I like seeing them bonding and fighting. And I just find it interesting because they're sisters. On a macro level, I really am intrigued, fascinated by the cultural phenomenon that is the Kardashians. I am really interested in how Kim Kardashian, who was a closet organizer for Paris Hilton, became this international business mogul. A lot of people hate Kris Jenner, the Kardashians' mother, who is also their manager. They think she's evil and that she gives, you know, managers a bad name and that she'll sell out her kids for anything. You know, it's a famous story that, you know, they planned the sex tape. Right. We don't know if it's true or not. Well, if it's true, it was successful. <laughs> it was successful. And not that I'm advocating that a mom <laughs> should go out and plan a sex tape for her daughter, obviously. But I really admire their business sense. I mean, these women have created an empire. And I mean, and the other thing is, like, look, they don't drink a lot. They don't party. They they have a great work ethic. And you really do see that on the show. I mean, yes, they spend a lot of time sitting around you know, yammering about things, but you also see them get up at 6 a.m. and Mm -hmm. go to an appearance and you see how they do things when they're tired and when they're stressed. And you see even like Kim Kardashian fighting back through her, you know, after her robbery in Paris and getting back out there. I just find them fascinating. They do have more crazy things happen in their (laughs) lives, like for real, than really anyone else. But something that I think is really interesting One reason they really take a lot of fire is because they live their lives on social media, Mm -hmm. right? And it's seen as tacky, tasteless, obviously self-promotional, which it is. But if you think about where we are today, not where we were 20 years ago, but where we are today, the fact of the matter is for a lot of people, not just reality stars, social media is a great way to improve your career. Right. You know, like take realtors, for instance, Mm -hmm. realtors who have big, you know, Instagram accounts or Facebook pages or whatever, they sell houses through their social media. Right. Now, are you going to tell a realtor that they shouldn't do that because they're being, you know, egotistical and having an Instagram account? I don't think so. Right. And if you're a book writer, God forbid you don't have social media. I mean... More and more, you've got to be creating your own audience and your own platform. And that is just the way it is for a lot of businesses. Right. And I think the Kardashians obviously have done that to great effect. And I don't fault them for that. Right. No, I admire their business acumen. I really do. I think they're incredibly smart business people. I just sort of fundamentally don't understand what the draw is. Like, 
why are people buying Kylie Jenner's makeup? Like, why? Right. What makes that so special and appealing? And it like it sells out in like seven seconds online or something crazy. I just don't understand where that comes from. And maybe it comes exactly from what you're talking about, from just kind of the power of social media and the presence that they have. But like, I don't fundamentally don't understand what makes them just sort of so compelling. I do get the sisters thing because that's fun and it's nice to see those relationships, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I am not a Kylie Jenner person, so I would never go buy one of her lip kits. Yeah. Um, she's not my focus of the Kardashians. <laughs> but I think like for young people, there have always been those people. Now, here's what I will say. One area I really don't like about the Kardashians is like what they do to their bodies right. when they do unnatural things. I think mm-hmm. there was a great period where the Kardashians were curvy mm-hmm. and showed that a different kind of woman could be sexy, not just a stick figure. But then I feel now it's gone to another place where they're doing injections and, you know, that whole Kylie lip injection thing. That I don't like. What I find kind of interesting is, you know, we have a thing where you say, that is not my worry. I have a thing where I say, that is not my pain. Mm. And I respect all of your reasons for liking the Kardashians because they are really well thought out and really well reasoned. But I also feel like part of your kind of affection for them or interest in them comes from, like, you had a very, very stable, I'm going to just say you had a happy childhood. Yes, I did. <laughs> right? I you really know, did. You had a super stable, happy childhood. Um, I didn't have, like, a miserable childhood, but it was certainly more complicated. And I, I, like, to me, the soap opera kind of element of the Kardashians, when I'm watching it, it doesn't feel comfortable to me to see it because it feels very familiar. Uh, whereas for me, it's just sheer entertainment. Right. I yeah. don't get anxiety watching them bicker. Right. Exactly. Whereas when I'm watching it, I'm thinking like, oh, Jesus, I, you know, then that crazy thing happened in my life. And I don't want to, like, remember all of these things. Yeah, Sarah. I mean, you had, you know, uh, your parents divorced when you were young. Your mom was working full time. Your dad was remarried. You had step siblings. You know, your parents didn't live close to each other. So that was tough. You you know, there was a lot. Your stepfather died. died. <laughs> yeah. um, there was a lot that you had to deal with uh, um, at a, you know, young age. Right. So like complicated families to me don't don't seem super entertaining. Right. You know, You've and the Kardashians is that. not the Brady Bunch. <laughs> it's right. Like, it's not like the, you know, nice, fanciful, sanitized version of a complicated family. It's like a complicated family. Yes. Um, which I, you know. I get that. And I have to say what's nice is from an outside perspective is now your life, though, I guess not conventional, right. is very calm, very yeah. happy. I think Violet when she gets older, will enjoy the Kardashians because she oh, will no. have had that calm, happy environment like I had, and she right. will want to see this crazy soap opera right. playing out. She will find it entertaining. Oh, yeah. God, help me. <laughs> well, here's what I want to know. Do you think less of me because I love the Kardashians, or are you a big fan too? And what do you think about the idea that we're all the stars of our own reality shows? I'd love to hear what you think. Send me a tweet at Elizabeth Craft. Okay, now, deep breath after the Kardashian discussion. <laughs> Let's move on to our Hollywood hack, which this week is watch your boss's favorite TV show. And I mean, really, Sarah, we shouldn't even call this a Hollywood hack. No. It's really just a work hack. 
right. for anybody. It really is. If you are, like, whatever job you have, it's such an easy way to connect with your boss if you know what their favorite TV show is to also watch that show. Yes. It's like sometimes you can be really intimidated. For instance, yeah. speaking from my own experience, when we started on Angel, which right. is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff, I was so intimidated by Joss Whedon. You were, I, you were like you couldn't speak. I could not speak. I mean, even just thinking of it now, <laughs> my stomach like clenches, right. like remembering how intimidated I was because he's so brilliant and he has such a big personality and I was just like, my voice would come out like a little mouse squeaking. <laughs> um, but if there was something I could talk to him about, you know, that we had in common, that's where I could sort of break through that wall. So, right. like, I couldn't pitch a story. God forbid. I was just too nervous. But if he said something, and I don't even remember now, like, what it might have been about a movie that we both liked, I could comment about that. Right. And so I think anytime you're in a, an intimidating environment like that, to find common ground is just an easy way to start the conversation. And then what we found in our 17 years in Hollywood is that once you're talking about that kind of stuff, yeah. you can talk about work things. Right. Once you find a certain level of comfort, yeah. it's so much easier in that case to just have a more fluid, comfortable relationship. In the room. Yes. It would have felt a lot safer yes. to pitch things. Yes. This is no fault of Joss's, by the way. He couldn't have been nicer. I was just crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, an we saw this in action on The yeah. Family, a show we were on a couple of years ago. We all um, were watching The Fall, yeah. which is a BBC show, mm -hmm. I believe. With Gillian Anderson. With Gillian Anderson. And um, one of the lower-level writers, for whatever reason, didn't watch the show or didn't seem to, and therefore didn't participate in the conversation about it. And you and I felt like, wow, that's a lost opportunity yeah. to connect. Yeah. And now looking back, I wish we'd even sort of pulled the writer aside and said, hey, watch this. It'll help you. But I don't know. We, we weren't being mindful enough to right. do that. Um, in the future, we will be. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, even on the show we're on now for The People, which we just started, the creator, Paul Davies, was talking about a show he loves. Nathan For You. Which is a comedy show. And we, you and I were thinking, well, I bet these lower-level writers should go right off and watch that so they can come in and talk about it. Yeah, I did, by the way. <laughs> I, went, I went home because I hadn't seen it and looked it up. So I'll be watching Nathan For yeah. You. <laughs> it's just a good way to get the conversation going. I mean, truly, if you get comfortable talking to your boss about Game of Thrones, then you can talk to them about anything. Yeah, that's really true. So figure out what your boss is watching and watch it. Okay, Sarah, before we say goodbye, did you have a celebrity sighting this week? Well, I sort of did. Okay, um, what happened? I can't say yes. I can't say no. So <laughs> I was at California Adventure, which is um, a Disney theme park. It's like across a little courtyard from Disneyland, in line for the Grizzly River Run ride where you like go around and get super wet, basically. And I'm standing there with Violet and with my Aunt Jean. And I see this young woman who... You know, we've talked about the celebrity glow. Yes. Um, she sort of had that. She was wearing a white T-shirt with a rainbow stripe across the chest. And I was like, ooh, you know, super cool shirt. She had, like, perfectly dyed blonde hair. But, like, I did not recognize her at all. And then, like, I noticed that the people behind us in line are, like, freaking out. <laughs> and they're, you know, 
I don't know, 16. They were, mm-hmm. you know, teenagers. And absolutely having that, like, you know, like panic thing that people mm-hmm. have, if, you know, when they're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's her. Like, that's totally what they were doing. <laughs> it was really adorable. And so I just blatantly asked them, like, are we having a celebrity sighting? Like, what's, ha- what's <laughs> happening here? Like, who should I be looking at? And, of course, it was the girl who I had noticed. And apparently she's a Disney star. Her name is Devore Ledridge. She's on this show called Bizarre Vark on the Disney Channel. Um, I'm looking it up. It's, um, it's, oh, it's about, it's about two best friends who make video blogs for their online comedy channel. It's kind of a little, yes. Just like us. (laughs) A little like us. (laughs) Um, so here's the existential part. I had no idea who she was. So like, is it a celebrity sighting if you don't know it's a celebrity? I don't know. It's like, yeah, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. It's <laughs> exactly. like, if you don't know it's a celebrity, is it a celebrity sighting? Yeah. So where do we land on that? <sighs> I mean, I think she is a celebrity. She and certainly was to the people behind her. me. <laughs> so I'm going to call this a celebrity sighting. Okay. But I am going to um, acknowledge that there is a generation of celebrities who just do not mean anything to us. Yeah. I find myself reading Us Weekly far less than I used to because half the people in it, you know, are under 22 and I just like don't know who they are. And so I'm not interested. But you did have a celebrity sighting. Okay. Thank you. I did. Um, But I just want to say like next week, I want to see like Tom Cruise, like someone big, like a real honest to goodness star. All right. Well, keep our eyes open. (laughs) Tom Cruise, where are you? (laughs) All right. Now, before we head into the credits, we actually have a very special birthday shout out that we want to give. Yes. The birthday shout out goes to Thelma in Illinois. She's turning 60. And because 60 is a momentous milestone, Thelma is celebrating her 60th officially in July, but all year long as well and deeming it the year of Thelma. Happy birthday, Thelma. Happy birthday, Thelma. All right. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. How do you cope with being stretched in too many different directions? Do you find ways to recharge or just grit your teeth and soldier through? Let us know. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Or is there something you're dying to know? Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY-21. Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thanks to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I want to have the year of Liz. Me too. I don't want to wait till I'm 60. Let's do it sooner. Sounds good.